wonderful rule has come, and the time is fulfilled for all men to respond in repentance and faith. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Before we read God's word, let us pray. Father in heaven, we commit ourselves to you this day. Would you be pleased to open our hearts and minds to the hearing and preaching of your word. We trust God the Holy Spirit to apply it to our hearts. Oh, Father, would you enable me to be faithful and true. Bless the preaching of your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The New York Times recently uh, quoted from Rabbi Kushner, who wrote the book in 1981, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Uh, This particular book was written as a result of the tragic, tragic consequences of the Kushner's 14 year old son dying of a genetic disease. In the Times article that was really an obituary over Kushner's uh, recent uh, death provided for us a quote from the book that gives the intention Kushner had for writing this book. And here's the intent to assure readers that bad things happen to good people because God is endowed with unlimited love and justice but exercises only finite power to prevent evil. Kirshner's understanding of God, sadly, is not reassuring, as well as being very bad theology. This book is not good news. It's not reassuring, for it presents a God who is not sovereign nor all-powerful. And what this means is the God of this viewpoint is a God who is not sovereign nor powerful to save sinners. That is not good news. In contrast to this bad news, the scriptures proclaim the truth, the good news of the gospel that God is sovereign over all. And he's powerful, all powerful. And he is sovereign and powerful to redeem sinners like you and me. That's good news. In particular, the the first 15 verses of the gospel of Mark stands as a correction to Kirshner's bad theology, his deficient view of God. For already in Mark, just in 15 verses at the end of today's uh, message, we will have read and heard about a God who is sovereign, who has a sovereign plan, who is all-powerful and is able to fulfill his plan. And part of his overall plan is is to redeem a people unto himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news for sinners like you and me. And today we'll be looking specifically at verses 14 and 15 where Jesus proclaims the gospel of God. And the gospel of God is about this. God's saving rule has come in Jesus. And we'll look at three things. Ministry, message, and mandate. The time is fulfilled first. For Jesus says Galilean ministry of preaching to begin. And it began after John's arrest. Verse 14, the bud of promise gives way to the flower of fulfillment. 
we have a magnolia plant in our backyard and the buds are there and we look forward to those buds opening up and we have a beautiful fragrant magnolia flower but contained in the bud is all that the flower will be but right now the flower is concealed in the bud but it promises to open up and to reveal this beautiful flower Think of the Old Testament being like a bud of promise, promising Messiah and the promise of a flower and all that is contained within the bud. And this brief account of John's arrest in chapter 1 verse 14 shows that now the time is fulfilled for God to bring the age of fulfillment, to open the bud that the beautiful flower might be seen. John represented the Old Testament prophetical office. In, indeed, he was the greatest prophet as we find Jesus himself even indicating. He was the greatest prophet because he was in such close proximity to the one to whom he prepared the way, the Lord Jesus Christ. The closing of John's ministry with his arrest and eventual death, and Mark will get to John's death in chapter uh, 6, but if you include the John's arrest and John's death and then add to that the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, all of this is pointing to the fact that that Old Testament age is coming to a close and a New Testament age that Jesus brought, the kingdom of God is now, has now been inaugurated. The new covenant promised in the Old Testament is now here in Jesus. And the place where Jesus will begin his ministry was the province of Galilee, uh, Mark's account does not preclude that Jesus had some time of ministry within Judea before John's arrest. John chapter 4, verse 3 and verse 43 seem to suggest a year might have passed before Jesus eventually entered and arrived in Galilee. Mark's emphasis is on the Old Testament era coming to a close, the New Testament era picking up the, the coming of the kingdom in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is Mark's uh, interest. And John's arrest is the point in time where is marked Jesus' ministry in Galilee formally beginning. Palestine was divided into, into three regions, Judea, Samaria, and the Galilee. And our Lord was from Galilee, Nazareth of Galilee. In chapter 1, verse 9, we see Jesus came to the wilderness to be baptized by John. He came from Nazareth. And after John's arrest, the text tells us that Jesus came into Galilee and his, and his ministry would soon center around a town in Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee, in fact, called Capernaum. That would be the center of his ministry in Galilee. It was, a, it was key to the fishing industry of Galilee. And as we'll see next week, Jesus' disciples, many of them were fishermen. And most of his early ministry took place in this region. So the events of verse 14 come about because of the sovereignty of God. The verb and the, the, the passive form used in chapter 14 to signify John's arrest, that is to arrest, indicate an action was done to him. Obviously, John did not arrest himself. He was arrested by, by Herod and Herod's soldiers. 
the same verb is used in the passive form in chapter 9, verse 31, where there we read Jesus was offered up on the cross. It's, it's the same, same verb in the passive form. Were the, were the Jews, was, was Pilate, were the Roman soldiers the, the primary actors of offering up Jesus? Was Herod the primary actor in John's arrest? And we'd say, yes, they certainly acted, but yet the primary actor, as we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, was God. God sovereignly acted in both of these circumstances to bring about his will, to bring about his purposes, to further his plan, to bring his kingdom near in the person of Jesus Christ. So verse 14, John's arrest, to me, points to God's sovereignty. The time was fulfilled for God's saving rule to break forth in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the time is fulfilled for Jesus to preach the message of God's gospel. And that message centered around this, the kingdom is at hand, verse 15. Already and not yet. We, we live in the already and not yet situation during our process of adopting our, our first child. Uh, she was already our child. I mean, the first moments that we held Jessica, she was our child. But yet, we had to wait 14 days a 14-day period of time when she was our child, but maybe not yet, because the mother could just ask for the child back anytime during that 14 days period. No reason, no court involved. And then after the 14-day period, Jesse was already our child, but not yet, because we had to wait an entire year for the adoption order to be signed. It was already, not yet, for a year. Then finally, the judge signed the order, and she was fully ours. So we experience already and not yet things in our lives. And yet, as Christians, we are living in the already and not yet. The kingdom of God has come, has been inaugurated in Jesus' coming, but it's not yet come in full. That will take place at Jesus' second coming. The first coming inaugurates the kingdom already here. The second coming brings the kingdom in full. Dr. Lane writes this, the, the coming of the kingdom remains future, but it is certainly precisely because God has begun to bring it to pass in the coming of his son. The kingdom has drawn near spatially in the person of Jesus who embodied the kingdom in a veiled way and and temporally because it is not only the event which takes place prior to the end. In the person of Jesus, men are confronted by the kingdom of God in its nearness. The kingdom is near. Mark began in chapter 1, verse 1, telling us about the, the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the good news Jesus saves now in verses 14 and 15. Mark returned to that same Great news, good news, message, though communicated slightly different. The good news of the gospel of God is the, is the kingdom is at hand. It's the good news of Jesus saves. God's saving rule has come and broken forth in the person and work of Jesus Christ. His kingdom is near. The breaking forth of God's saving rule in Christ 
means, as Dr. Hendrickson writes, God's reign, his rule, now he reigns in the hearts and lives of men, would begin to assert itself more and more fully than ever before in the future day to come, the eschaton, it will come in full with all creation being redeemed. You see the already and not yet. Already redeemed, not yet redeemed in full. But that's coming. This God's kingdom being near, God's saving rule coming in the person work of Jesus Christ is good news. It is good news for it already brings the great blessing of salvation. As Jim read in Isaiah 61, the coming of Jesus, hearts, the brokenness is, is mended. People are brought out of their sin into a saving relationship with the king of the universe. For all those who, by sovereign grace, would confess and forsake their sin and would begin to live for God's glory, it is good news. It's good news for it establishes the church of God's covenant community where members of his kingdom acknowledge his absolute rule and live under his gracious reign as a church militant. But one day will be the church triumphant in glory. Just as now our salvation, we are, we are saved, but we'll be saved in full in the day to come, be glorified. So too our life in the church, one day we will be the church triumphant. The already, not yet, the present and the future. Mark says God's kingdom is here. God's saving rule has begun in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's good news for sinners that God is a sovereign God, that he's all-powerful to bring his saving rule to bear upon the hearts and lives of sinners. And then thirdly, the time is fulfilled for all to heed Jesus' mandate to respond to the good news of the saving rule of God. Critical moments demand an appropriate response. The tornado that affected our community and some of us directly here, all of us indirectly, at the end of March was a critical moment. It demanded an appropriate response in heeding the warnings and taking shelter. Thankfully, many did, and miraculously, there, there was no loss of life here in the city of Little Rock, for which we give thanks to God. The time is fulfilled. And the greatest critical moment has come upon us. The inauguration of the kingdom of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ has come. It is a critical moment because it demands an appropriate response. It demands, it demands a response of repentance and faith. And while heeding the warnings of a tornado is very wise to do, we must understand that the greatest warning is heeding the call to respond to the rule of God savingly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's more at stake than physical death. It is eternal death that is on the line 
with this response. Jesus' mandate or command is for sinners to respond to the saving rule of God by repenting of sin and believing in the gospel. In other words, be converted. To be converted uh, to Christ requires both repentance and faith, these, these twin graces that our confession talks about. They're inseparable. In repentance, one, one comes to understand that they are a sinner and they feel the burden and condemnation of sin. They come to hate their sin. They confess it. They turn from it. They do a 180. And they choose to put their faith and trust in the only one who brings forgiveness and the gift of eternal life, the Lord Jesus Christ. So to be converted then is to is to choose to turn from sin and turn to Christ in saving faith. It is a necessary choice that sinners make to get into heaven. The Apostle Paul says this in Acts chapter 238, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's not teaching here that baptism saves you. No, it does not. But he is referring to the fact that baptism is the outward sign of inward faith. And so really what Peter is saying here is that repent and believe is actually what he, how we should understand his use of baptism here. Peter called the crowd after that Pentecost sermon to repent of their sin and turn to Christ in saving faith. That inward reality of faith. And so while this choice to repent and believe to be converted is absolutely necessary, sinners must respond in repentance and faith, yet we need to understand that it is not determinative of salvation. The good news of the gospel message is that God sovereignly and powerfully changes the nature of dead sinners according to his purposes in election by making them spiritually alive in Christ. By the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of regeneration that we often talk about. It enables one to be converted. It enables one to see their sin, to hate it, to turn from it, and to see the Savior, and to turn to Him and believe upon Him. And, and, and we see this in Ephesians 1 and 2, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Paul teaches God sovereignly chooses sinners to be united to Christ in saving faith in eternity past all according to his will and then in chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 the apostle Paul gives the bad news every single person ever born is born a sinner dead in sin dead men and women don't talk by nature man is incapable of calling out to God for help now the good news in Ephesians 2 verse 4, God takes the initiative and he makes dead centers alive in Christ. He gives them new life in Christ. He ordains that they would inherit eternal life and he actually does the work to determine that. He changes their heart, he changes their nature. Made alive in Christ, he regenerates them. And because of that, sinners are able to respond in repentance and faith. God determines salvation and enables the appropriate response. And the time is fulfilled for you and for me 
to respond appropriately to the saving rule of God. Galatians 4.